welcome to another episode of the Backcheck, the Hockey History Podcast, where we uh, analyze Hall of Fame places for NHL players. My name is Riley. I'm with Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Thanks. And today with the class of 1981, a Hall of Fame class 1981, featuring Alan Stanley and then two left wingers, uh, Johnny Vizek and Frank Mahovlich. And so we're going to start um, with Alan Stanley because we were just discussing off off the recording that uh, we sort of think he's the most anonymous of the three players. Certainly he's the least discussed now. I think it's safe to say, um, though he did play for quite a long time, extremely long for his era. Uh, I guess only not extremely long in relation to Norm Allman and Gordie Helm players like that, <laughs> um, you know, and, and was at one point thought very briefly to be, considered one of the best defensemen in the league. And this is just somebody who I honestly, I, I you hear nothing about, I think. Um, I just want to mention something with regard to uh, the numbers we're going to talk about with regard to defensemen, both in this episode and the class of 1980. And it's probably affected um, other defensemen we've talked about for this era. Uh, hockey reference as a thing called StatHead, it lets us sort, uh, search databases for the NHL, not the WHA, but the NHL. And they list um, Reg Kelly as a defenseman, who, of course, was a defenseman for two-thirds of his career, but was also, or half, but also played center. Uh, They list Doug, I I never know, is it Doug Moans or Doug Mons? I'm not sure. The winger for Holland Makita. Anyway, he was a defenseman for the first half of his career, then he got traded to the Blackhawks and uh, played um, right wing with them. Uh, and then also Dick Clapper, who would, was both a center and a wing, or sorry, a defenseman and a winger. And then really weirdly, they sometimes list Milt Schmidt as a defenseman, even though he never played a single game. It's like a bug. <laughs> and so I just want to mention that if you go and try to verify these things on StatHead, you're going to find that sometimes the position I say for Stanley's rankings all time at his retirement are um, are inaccurate, and that is because. The uh, you can't separate out these guys who had half careers as defensemen or Milt Schmidt for some reason who is in there, and even though like I, I I read a bunch about him it doesn't seem like he played a game of defense but for some reason there's a typo somewhere I think on the in the database anyway so sorry about that but just FYI it's true of Stanley and there's a couple defensemen coming up in the class in 1980 it was also true of four where these guys who only played defensemen for half their careers are not at all rank above them when you search for defensemen rankings so. Just, I just wanted to mention that. So uh, Stanley played from 48 to 69, so just a couple years into the expansion of the league. Uh, so that's 21 seasons. 20-ish were quality, we think. Um, when he retired, he was uh, the ninth defenseman all-time with exactly 100 goals. Uh, he was also the fourth defenseman all-time um, with uh, just over 300 assists behind only um, Doug Harvey, Bill Gadsby, Pierre Pelot, and, of course, uh, you could also put Reg Kelly ahead of him, but how many of Kelly's assists came as a center, I have no idea off the top of my head. And he was also fifth all-time in points behind Gadsby, uh, Harvey, Pelot, uh, and Tim Horton. And, you know, if you look it up, it'll, you'll see Reg Kelly and Dick Clapper on there as well. So top five offensive defo- uh, defensemen all-time by points, at least. He was also uh, plus 117, but keep in mind that he was only they were only recording uh, plus and minus for the first the second half of his career so from 1959 so the last 10 years and it's worth noting that that is when he got traded to the Maple Leafs so uh he was on the Rangers and he was on the Bruins and uh, briefly the Blackhawks at a time when um 
all of those teams were not good, or at least the Rangers might have been good a couple of years there. Um, actually, yes, they were. Um, and the Bruins were once, but otherwise, like it's quite possible that that plus one seventeen, which is which would have been uh, sixth all time among defensemen and fourteenth all time among NHL players when he retired, is not accurate because uh, the Leafs were really good for for Alan Stanley's uh, time there, and uh, you know. He's uh, he was minus only once in his Toronto Maple Leaf career, uh, minus one, uh, <laughs> and it's entirely so we have no idea basically is what I'm saying um, about that at plus minus. Um, he was fourth all time in games played uh, at his retirement, which is likely one of the reasons he was inducted. Um, you know, he was inducted 12 years later, but still inducted relatively soon for a guy who's fairly unknown. Um, the only people ahead of him were Gordy Hell, Red Kelly, and Bill Gadsby. Yeah, it, he, it, it pretty much didn't happen for somebody to play 20 yeah. plus years back then. Right? Yeah, 1,244 games in 1969 is kind of an insane number. Yeah. He was also ninth all-time in point shares. Ninth in point shares, which is crazy. And um, the fourth defenseman behind only Doug Harvey, Tim Horton, and King Clancy. Um, so that is illustrious company. Of course, Greg Kelly's ahead of him too, but it's another story. He was 25th all-time in defensive point shares, so that puts him significantly lower on that list um but he was also a uh, uh, fourth all-time um in defensive point shares at his retirement behind only doug harvey uh, michelle pronovos and tim horton and he was 11th all-time among defensemen in offensive point shares um now he didn't score enough obviously to make either the goal per game or point per game leaderboards but we'll lower the requirements and if you lower the requirements enough for him to get in he was the 11th d all time in goals per game at his retirement obviously he didn't make um uh, meet the requirement sixth all time in points per game, uh, assist per game which is extremely impressive and seventh all time in, in points per game now keep in mind bobby orr had been in the league for like two years at this point when he retired but still he was by these metrics, one of the 10 best offensive defensemen in NHL history when he retired. Um, Era-wise, of the 12 defensemen to play in at least 810 uh, games, or 820 games, sorry, uh, that's 10 minor scenes between 48 and 69, he's third in goals, fifth in goals per game, fourth in assists, fifth in assists per game, fifth in points, fifth in points per game, fourth in plus-minus, fifth in offensive point shares, fourth in defensive point shares, third in point shares, and first in game play. So he is among the top five best, at least by offensive metrics mostly, and also defensive point shares. He's one of the five best defensemen of his era. Um, now, of course, six-team league, but still, uh, top five would put him, you know, on the uh, on the, th- the one of the top pairs of the three best teams, right? Um, his 82-game average is, a tw- is 29 points and plus eight, of course, keeping in mind uh, it's only the last uh, 10 years of his career. Um, but 29 points is, of course, uh, really low, and so it just goes to show you that you could be the top five offensive defenseman of that era, and you still were only scoring 29 points per per season, per modern season. Um, his three-year peak was 59-62, um, a 70-game average of 37 points and plus 18. Again, they had just started recording plus-minus, so we have no idea um, you know, if, if there was a... And I forgot to do the point shares, actually, for that three-year uh, peak, but like it would have been in the sevens or eights, so I mean, 70 games, that's pretty good. So playoffs, he was 15th all-time in goals by a defenseman as retirement, but he only had seven goals, which goes to show you how little defensemen had scored. He was third all-time among defensemen in assists behind only Doug Harvey and Pierre Plout, and this is in the playoffs again. 
Uh, he was fourth all time in points behind Harvey, Pilot, uh, Red Kelly, and Tremblay. And I, I, uh, so yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, sorry, I said fourth, sorry, Harvey, Pilot, and Tremblay, um, who we talked about last week. He was also tied 24th all time in plus minus with a hilarious plus two. So at least for the first 10 years in the NHL's history, uh, plus minuses history when it was being recorded by teams, I guess there were plenty of guys who were minus because 24th all time plus two is bizarre. He was also six all time in games played by a defenseman. Again, he doesn't qualify for any playoff leaderboards, uh, but if we, or at least uh, for the points and goals but if we lower the uh, the leaderboards he was fourth um in well he was fourth all the time in um among defensemen in assists per game but there were only uh four qualifying players so he was last uh and those qualifying players were pilot harvey and tremblay even at this point bobby or didn't actually have enough assists to qualify um but i guess he probably would by the next playoff and he was sixth or last among qualifying players in playoff uh points per game so, um, and, you know, he had seven goals that we did on, that really didn't stand out. Um, it is, you know, uh, worth noting basically that like, despite his, uh, relative offensive accomplishments in the regular season playoff wise, you know, um, most people didn't score. He did score. He just didn't score at the rate of like some other guys, um, hockey references adjustment for era. Bumps him up five points per 82 games to 34 points. He doesn't qualify for goals or points for versus X, but he has 536 assists with the versus X adjustment, which is um, like not quite double, but like like 1.75 times the number of assists he actually had. So um, he was traded a bunch uh, in his career, and uh, those trades happened literally throughout his. Well, they happened. Uh, early on and then he actually was also um left unprotected at the end but basically early on when he was 22 he was traded um oddly it was it was another time um you know the the there weren't the same kind of agreements um between the minors in the nhl like some some of those teams were owned by nhl teams but they still had like there wasn't like a a process really so he was traded into the nhl from the ahl um when he was 22, um, he was traded to the Rangers for somebody named Eddie Kuhlman, um, as well as Mo Morris and another player named later who he was Buck Davies, who I've never heard of. And then six years later, he was traded um, to the Blackhawks with Rich Lamoureux and Nick McCoskey for Pete Conacher, who I believe is brother, if not son, of, of Roy and um, um, Charlie. And uh, no, it would be son of one of them, actually, because he's only 22. And Bill Gadsby, the guy whose name has popped up a bunch of times. Um, so that's it. We're going to get to Gadsby at some point. That's an interesting trade because I think Gadsby generally probably had the better career. And then two years later, he was traded to the Bruins for an undisclosed amount of money. And and that was actually a, really a three-team t- trade because he ended up on the Leafs that same day um, for uh, Jim Morrison, not the Doors singer, even though it was even though Jim Morrison was alive. Lastly, he was left unprotected in a special draft, um, which was like the Flyers getting some guys from original six teams, even though they had already had an expansion draft. I don't know what that special draft was. But none of these trades beyond the Bill Gadsby one really really stand out. Um, though Jim Morrison, I think, was a pretty decent player. 
Um, he certainly he's obviously not in the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, he had a pretty good career. He looked, he played like twelve seasons. So, you know, not. I mean, the only one that's really notable is Bill Gadsby, and I don't know enough about Bill, Bill Gadsby's um, career to know. I, I suspect uh, the Rangers might have won that, but um, I don't know. So, um, very briefly, Alan Stanley was thought to be one of the best defensemen in the world in the NHL because uh, he finished second in Norris Trophy voting in 1960 behind uh, Doug Harvey, of course, and third in 61. Um he also finished second in Calder voting in 1949. I don't know who won the Calder that year. I'll look it up. Behind Penty Lund, there is a name you don't think about very much. <laughs> um, but like, uh, yeah. So he uh, in in 61. I'm going to see who he finished behind in terms of Norris voting. Um, he finished behind Harvey and Protovost. So oh, yeah. uh, he was being considered, despite playing on a team with Tim Horton. At least those two years, he was being considered the best defenseman on the Leafs, certainly. Um, now, what we can make of that, I don't know, but it's worth thinking about. He was a second-team All-Star three times. Those two years, he won the Norris as well as uh, in 66. Um, he also made seven All-Star game appearances. Uh, Hockey References point share metric has him as one of the top ten players in the league in 61. That second year, he was nominated for a Norris, as well as... Um, a top five defenseman by defense point shares in 59 and, of course, 61. Uh, he's only top 10 in defensive point shares five times, though, in 21 years. And now, of course, defensive point shares are not super accurate, and they're more accurate once plus minus came along. So you can, like, throw out the 49 to to 60, basically, or to 59, rather, the first 10 years of his career um, in terms of defensive point shares. Who really knows? Yeah. Um he was top five and plus minus once, top ten twice, and he obviously doesn't qualify for the versus XP because this is a guy who scored 400 points in 1,200 games. Lastly, he was, at least by points, the best defenseman on two uh, cup winners. Those were the 63 and 64 Leafs. He outscored Tim Horton on those. He also um, had the most points of any defenseman on the Rangers in 1950, who were the, like one of the last good Rangers teams for a long time. Um he was a top two defenseman by points um, on two runners up, the 57 and 60 Bruins. Again, the, the last sort of the last time the Bruins were good before uh, Esposito and Orr arrived. And he was a top four defenseman by points on another two champions. So he won four cups. Um, and these were the 62 and the infamous 67 Leafs. And he was also uh, played that role on the 59 Leafs who lost in the finals. And also, um, he, he, we don't really know what role he had on the 65 Leafs who were eliminated in the first round uh, because he didn't score enough. And uh, the 66 Leafs, he was hurt. Now, we don't have ice time, which is a big problem because we're just going off of who scored the most. And I have no idea who played more. But this is a time at which, you know, Tim Horan was, for much of this period, considered by many people the best defenseman on the Maple Leafs. So... I, I mean, now it's clear that uh, for two years people thought Alan Stanley was, um, but it's really hard to know what to do because he, you know, we have these these two Norris top three finishes and we have these two years in 63, 64 where he outscored Tim Horton. I should see how much he outscored Tim Horton. Um, but like without ice time, we really don't know, you know, um, what he was. Uh, he did help the Leafs win four cups in uh, one, two, three, four, five, seven seasons. So that's impressive. Yeah. Um, let me pull up the uh, 
defenseman scoring for the two years that he was he led the team or led defenseman. So in '63 he had seven, he had seven points in ten games and was a phenomenal plus nine. Wow. Uh, Tim Horton was plus ten but only had four points. Um, they are the two highest scoring defensemen for that team. And then '64. Um, Alan Stanley had seven points plus two in 14 games, so a lot fewer. Tim Horton had uh, was plus two as well and had four points in 14 games. Um, but again, no idea what role either of them were playing. So, I don't know. What do, what do you think? Um, it's hard to say because it seems like at his peak he was a top five defenseman. But yeah. You know the records are pretty unreliable. So like if it's if it's just at his peak he was a top five defenseman in the league for about a five year period, then I don't know. Probably he's got like a decent case, but like definitely not a slam dunk. Yeah. But but if he was outpacing Horton, then maybe he was a better defenseman than Horton for a good because we know Horton was sort of considered uh, you know one of the better defensemen in the league for most of his career. So. Yeah. Maybe he's got a pretty good. I I think he might be one of those guys. If you didn't see him play, you don't really have an idea of how good he was. Yep. And so I think people from like my parents' era, um, they would remember him and be like, "Oh yeah, well you know, and like, and it's you know, did he did he play on a pairing with uh, Horton, or did they each have their own pairing sort of thing? And it was yep. like, uh, so it's there's a lot of stuff we you know we don't know. I'm sure there's some old Maple Leafs fans who are really on about it right now but it, it doesn't sound like he has a, an, um, he doesn't have one of those cases where you can categorically say no or even like strongly lean towards no I think like it's it's really open for discussion yeah and it's it's one of those guys who just doesn't come up much um, mm-hmm. you know honestly like I I lurk I lurk in as I mentioned this I've mentioned this forum many times but I lurk in the hockey, uh, history of hockey forum uh, within the um, you know hockey's future community and like Alan Stanley is a guy who doesn't pop up very much, um, except for like uh, he he, you know, there's a post about him like when he died, but like beyond that, you know, I don't people don't even ask. Sometimes the people the random posts about people asking about like some guy from the past, I don't. There isn't even a post about that. Like it's just yeah. It seems like um, you know, there's not a lot of uh of um you know, uh, just reckon remembrance about him. And I mean, I would think that's reasonable, except for the fact that for two years, people seem to think he was one of the best couple defensemen in the league. Um, at least the writers did, you know, because yeah. he made now he it's weird. Cause of course one year he finished, he was a second team all-star, but finished second in Norris voting. So go figure. How yeah. how you're how you're on the second team, but you're the second best defenseman in the league. I don't understand how that works, but there are weird voting anomalies like that throughout the history of the NHL. Yeah. Um, but you know he that and we need we sort of need Norris voting to tell us, especially pre plus minus, but as, but pre ice time without Norris votes, we really don't know what people thought of them unless we're gonna like you said, Bill, unless we're gonna go back and talk to people who watched or we're going to find old footage or we're going to, you know, um, you know, read a bunch of like old news coverage or something. It's really yeah. hard to, uh, find out. And so for me, I'm the combination of the top three Norris voting two years in a row and also B 
being the highest scoring defenseman on two champions for the Maple Leafs, as well as winning four, four in seven years or whatever it was. That makes me like lean towards he, I'm not fighting for, to kick him out. And also yeah. the longevity, right? As much as I hate, like we're at a point in, in, in the, the history of professional sports where lots of people can play for a long time because of the quality of healthcare and nutrition. But he did it at a time when that didn't exist, really. And so I do sort of want to give him credit a little bit for the longevity. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm on the – I'm sort of like I, – I maybe have to be talked into bumping him out. But I'm also open to it because his numbers do not, like, scream at you. Um, and because, honestly, like, you hear tons of stuff about Tim Horton. Like, Tim Horton I, – I think some people consider Tim Horton one of the best defensemen ever to not win a Norris Trophy. I've never heard anyone say that about Alan Stanley. You know? That's true. Yeah. Well, you you always. I mean, obviously, there's a restaurant with his name on it, so it's kind of hard yeah. to escape. But even when like 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 the first Tim Hortons came to you know my crappy town in the middle of nowhere, Quebec, um, it was like my parents saw that name and like, oh, he was a heck of a defenseman for the Maple Leafs, and I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea, right? I just thought it was the name of the restaurant, and then I did a, a yeah. deeper deeper dig. You know, I think I was like maybe 15 yeah. uh, when, when they moved there. And it was like, but they were just sort of becoming like a big national chain. But yeah. people my parents' age remembered him very well as being like a rugged, super tough, super reliable defenseman. And like he, he had, uh, but Alan Stanley, like if I hadn't done any diving into hockey history stuff and done some of my own reading, I'm ne- like his name never comes up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like we'll obviously talk more about Tim Horton when we get to his his particular class, which will be I, I think it's it's in the mid seventies if I'm not mistaken. But um, like, yeah, I, I, it's the same thing. Like I've heard tons about Tim Horton, um, especially more recently. Uh, certainly since I started lurking in that forum, I feel like there's a lot of respect for Tim Horton, and and like I just this is nothing. I hear nothing about Alan Stanley, and I have no idea like what to believe and. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely open um uh to being convinced either way, either that he's overrated and doesn't belong or that he was actually he's actually supremely underrated. I mean, I don't know. Um yeah. Anyway, uh up next we have our two left wings uh, who we both talked about um in our best left wing of all time podcast episode. Um the first we're going to talk about is Johnny Busick who played uh for a ridiculously long time. If we thought Alan Stanley <laughs> played for a long time, well, Johnny Music has something to say about that because he played from 55 to 78, which is like 23 seasons. Um, and unlike um, many people of his era, he didn't go off and finish play into his 40s in the uh, WHA. He actually was able to play into his 40s in the NHL, which is, I think, an accomplishment of, of some kind. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, so, uh, when he retired, he was fourth all time in goals, assists, and points, which is incredible. Um, he was in goals. He was behind only Gordie Howe, his teammate, Phil Esposito and Bobby Hull. Uh, in assists, he was behind Howe, Stan Makita and, and Howe's teammate, Alex Stavalkio. And last name points, he was behind Howe, Esposito and Makita. So the fact that he was, uh, behind only Esposito and, uh, Esposito and goals and points, I think, does tell you something about uh, his role, much like when we get to Del Vecchio or like with Allman. 
But still, fourth all-time in, in all three offensive categories is crazy. Now, he's also notably minus seven, which is wacky, given uh, that he played for the Bruins, who at one point were scoring 400 goals a season, basically. Yeah. Um, however, he was on the Bruins before the Esposito trade. And when he was on those Bruins, uh, they were not good. Um, his worst ever plus minus season uh, for the Bruins was in 62 when he was a minus 43. It's also worth noting that when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1981, uh, plus minus records went back to 1968 and not to 1959 because the league collected them from 1968. We've mentioned this before, but teams had actually been secretly collecting them since 59 or they hadn't been uploaded to the Internet or something. So... Uh, Nobody knew in 1981 that he was a minus seven. They probably uh, thought he was a plus something ridiculous because most of his minus years took place before 1968. And in 1968, he was a remarkable. Uh, oh, no. Never mind. I was going to say he's plus 69, but no, he was plus 18. He's still really good. Um, so he was also 12th all time in total point shares. He was uh, 17th all time. He is still 17th all-time in games played with a remarkable 1540. He was third all-time behind only Howe and Del Vecchio when he retired, uh, which is very impressive. Uh, he was seventh all-time in offensive point shares at his retirement, and he was 19th all-time among forwards in defensive point shares at his retirement. So very clearly one of the best left wings of all time when he retired. He is not, notably, he is not top 25 in any per-game category. Uh, you, you, that happens when you play 23 seasons, right? You're... Uh, you're sort of beginning and end of your career, drag down your pregame numbers. Um, but it's also notable given that he's fourth all time in goals, assists, and points. That he's not even in, he's not even 25th all time in any of those per game categories. So, of the 12 skaters to play in at least 14 modern seasons or 1148 games between 55 and 78, he is first in goals ahead of. I'd say ahead of Espo, but of course Espo started his career significantly later than 55, so probably doesn't qualify. Um, <laughs> third in goals per game, only 10, 10 qualifying players there. Second in assists, fourth in assists per game, second in points, and third in points per game. Eighth in plus minus, despite being a minus seven. And second in offensive point shares, third last in defensive point shares, notably, and second in total point shares. So one of the best couple players of his era. Of course, it's worth noting that that particular segment of time likely excludes uh, Gordie Howe, uh, Bobby Hull, and Phil Esposito. Uh, and also later, it would exclude Lafleur, uh, it would exclude Orr, it would exclude um, Dion. So he is... He looks really impressive, but it's also important to note that his career, this particular stretch, he doesn't really overlap with the careers of, like, the biggest stars of the era. Like, the only person he probably really overlaps with is Makita. And that would make... I don't remember if he was second in assists and points to Makita, but that's probably who's got to be ahead of him on that, right? And it would make sense also that Busick is ahead of Makita in goals because Makita was a passer. So his 82-game average is 73 points and a zero. Um, which makes sense because he's minus a little bit over a very big sample. His three-year peak when he was playing on the wing of Phil Esposito and notably had who Bill and I think is the greatest hockey player of all time um, on the ice with him uh, is a uh, pretty remarkable 97 points in 78-game average, 41 goals in those 71 game, 78 games, which is very impressive, and a plus 23. Yeah, so about for right. a little stretch, he was 
certainly one of the best players, uh, particularly one year, the 1970-71. Um, he was extremely – he had a, a really good year that year, which we will probably talk about. Playoff-wise, his numbers don't look so good. They're still very good, but they're not as good as a regular season. He was 15th all-time Colts' retirement, 12th all-time in assists, which is interesting given he's a goal scorer, and 14th all-time in points. He's also plus 29 in the playoffs. He's minus 7 in the regular season, plus 29 in the playoffs. When do you encounter somebody um, who is minus in the regular season, plus in the playoffs? When you encounter someone whose uh, playoff years uh, were all with Phil Esposito and Bobby Orr, most of them, and then later Jean Rattel, um and Brad Park, and missed the playoffs a bunch of times when he was a terrible minus. But anyway. <laughs> um, per game, though, he does manage to get onto the uh, at his retirement. He does manage to get on the top 25 leaderboards. He was 18th all time in playoff goals per game in his retirement, and tied 25th in points per game. So that is better than regular season. And again, as we always say when we encounter these types of players, it's pretty rare to be a better playoff performer um, than a regular season performer. So in totals, he's better in the regular season, but per game, he's better in the playoffs, which is important. Of these 73 skaters to play in at least 82 playoff games between 55 and 78, he's 10th in playoff goals, uh, 15th in goals per game, 8th in assists, 14th in assists per game, 9th in points, and 15th in playoff points per game. So here, the totals make him look better, the per game less good. It's possible also that because the playoff per game uh, leaderboard requirements are so much lower, that that's just there's sort of a bit of a, a fluke there in the data. Um, he's also 8th in playoff plus minus and 11th in games played. So if you think about that in terms of 11th in games played and 15th or 14th in per game stats, he's a little behind where you think he should be. But of course, he played forever. We are talking about 124 playoff games and he retired. Also, it's worth pointing out that means that he was a... Uh, um, like he was inducted his first year of eligibility, right? Yeah. Hockey reference adjustment for era helps him uh, a tiny little bit. It bumps him up one point per 82 games to 74 points per 82 games instead of 73. So, I mean, he basically, that's because of when he played, right? He he did not make it to the 80s, so his, his stats were not skewed by that. Versus X adjustment likes him a lot, just like it loved Norm Allman. It loves John Busick. Um, and I think that's partly because of when he played. The fact is that he played sometime in the original six and and the versus X adjustment really loves original six players for the obvious reason that there were six teams in the league and it's all about where you ranked relative to your competition. So he is 13th all time in goals, 12th all time in assists and 13th all time in points, which is quite high. Um, he is also uh, not in the top 25 in per game numbers for versus X. However, if you raise the, um, qualifier to 1230 games or 15 modern seasons he's 14th in versus x adjusted goals per game 19th in assists per game and 13th in points per game which is quite remarkable we have one trade to talk about and it is a doozy (laughs) and that is uh he was on uh the red wings that's who that's where he started his career very briefly he was on the red wings he was on the red wings for 11 11 games he was traded straight up for terry sawchuk Oh, my. So what's the story there? Well, Sawchuk had been the star goalie for the Red Wings for many seasons, seven seasons or something. And then um, he was traded to the Bruins 
for a whole bunch with a bunch of people for a whole bunch of people. It's a big, big trade in 1955. Um, however, the Bruins weren't happy with Sawchuk. And so two years later, they traded him back for Busick. And then, of course, uh, Sawchuk was less good, I guess, for that stretch of his Red Wings career. And then eventually, of course, he found his way uh, to the Leafs and, and won some cups with the Leafs. Um, but I believe, I'm not mistaken, oh no, so, yeah, Sawchuk won all his cups his first uh, with the Red Wings on his first trip into the Red Wings, and then he won a further cup with the Leafs. So uh, it does seem like the Bruins won the trade because Sawchuk was, um, you know, it, this was the second stretch with Detroit wasn't as good as the first stretch. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is, those are, those are some names uh, going back and forth there. Um, only a six year age difference between the two of them actually, which is not something I would have thought Sawchuk was considerably older than. Yeah, Busek. me too. So Busek won only the lady Bing in his career uh, twice. And that makes sense because of course he was playing with uh, the best center of his era or second best, depending on what part of the time you're talking about. And also the best, possibly the best hockey player ever. Um, he made one first team all-star and that is when he scored 116 points in one season, which I believe was the left wing record um, until Robitaille be my guess. Right. Um, probably yeah. because Robitaille yeah. scored 120 something. He also was a second team all-star only once, which is a real surprise. Um, that is and, actually. and he was in seven all-star games he was by hockey references estimation a top five player by point shares once in 1971 of course he was um you know one he was actually like a top three scorer that year but of course he was outscored by two of his teammates he was a top five offensive player that same season and then he was only top 10 offensive player uh, five seasons but notably, two of those seasons he was top five were without Bobby Orr, and one of them was without, without Phil Esposito. Hmm. Um, actually, 65? Was Esposito on the Bruins by 65? I honestly don't know. Let me look it up. Two of them were without Phil Esposito. So that's an accomplishment, I would say. It, it shows that music was good before these two guys showed up, which is yeah, it wasn't entirely due to just playing. Yeah. I mean, he was like he was a minus player those years, but of course the Bruins were garbage. Yeah, um, but like yeah, it's worth that's really I think that's a really important thing. Like you said, there is he was he was a good player already before they showed up, which you can't say for like Ken Hodge, Wayne Cashman, Fred Stanfield, John McKenzie, Derek Sanderson. Uh, every winger that played with those guys, right? Except for Busick, maybe you could just, I mean, not that they were bad, but they were not, you know, like there is a bump that you get from playing with Esposito and Orr. And I think you could accuse Busick of having that, but the fact is he was a, he was actually a bit of an offensive star before they got there. Unlike all those other dudes that I was listing off. Yeah. He, He was top five in goals once top five in goals per game once. Uh, he also was only one of 20 players ever to score 50 goals by his retirement. He, of course, did that in the early 70s, so it would have been even fewer back then. And he was also one of only 21 players ever to score 20 goals 16 times. Uh, and three at his retirement, the only two people to do that more when he retired were Gordy Howe and his teammate Norm Ullman, we talked about last episode. He was top five in assists once. He was top five in assists per game once. He was one of only 13 players ever to have 50 assists four times at his retirement and one of only 10 players ever to have 40 assists eight times at his retirement. Um, 
He was one of only 12 players ever to score 110 points when he retired. He was also, notably, one of only five players ever to score 50 points 17 times when he retired. Yeah. And those others are Gordie Howe and Norm Ullman, as you expect, as long with along with their teammate Alex Delvecchio, and lastly, Stan Makita, so people you would expect. So, like a number of guys we talked about recently, he had a peak, which was very good, and he also, but he also, more than he had that very brief peak where he was very good, he also had uh, a level of endurance, which was really rare when he retired. Versus X, um, peak adjustment likes him a fair amount, though not as much as Norm Ullman, notably. Uh, <laughs> For his best seven seasons, he's 45th all-time in goals, 61st all-time in assists, and 46th all-time in points. So basically, at least in goals and points, a top 50 player all-time forward all-time. And if you put it to 10 seasons, he's 37th uh, in goals and 38th in points and 51st um, in assists, so at a top 50 forward all-time. Um, so he looks pretty good. Now, notably, he never led his team in points in the playoffs, but like, how could you? Given yeah. who he's playing with, um, he was a top three forward on the '72 Bruins by points, and notably co-led the playoffs in goals along with Espo. Um, he was also uh, a top three forward in points on their other team, uh, the '70 Bruins. But uh, there, he uh, you know he did not co-lead the playoffs in goals. He was also uh, a top three forward in points on the Bruins team in '74 that lost the Flyers. Um, and then uh, he he had he had less of a role um, on those other Bruins teams. Both the two Bruins teams in uh, well, sorry, the one Bruins team in, in uh, '58 that went to the finals. He was really young at the time. He was 22, so he didn't have a major role. He was also when he was on the Red Wings, they actually went to the Cup, and he had a minor role there as well. And then uh, in '77, when the Bruins went back. Uh, well, in 77 and 78, when the Bruins went back to the finals with that uh, those Rattel Park teams, uh, he was injured uh, for the uh, the 77 Bruin run. He missed nine of 14 games, so over half the playoffs. And then in 78, he actually didn't dress. I don't know if he – I couldn't find out whether he retired before the playoffs started or whether he was just a healthy scratch because he was 43 or 42, one or the other. When was his birthday? Uh, May. So he was – he turned 43 probably during the playoffs. So there's a reason probably he wasn't playing. So do you do you feel differently about where you ranked him? Um, no, I, I think I had him I think I had him about right. He's definitely one of the top left wingers of all time. And he was clearly good before he started playing with um, before he started playing with uh, with with Espo, um, and obviously with Bobby Orr as well. Um, so like, you know, his his plus minus stats probably get a boost, but you know, his plus minus stats before they got there when the Bruins were awful, definitely were being pulled down by who he was playing with. So I, I think he's like one of those guys who, um, had he played his whole career on a not very good team, uh, I, I think he probably doesn't get in, uh, or he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a good case. Um, but because he ended up playing with, guys who were clear hall of famers uh you know you saw what he was capable of when he was with sort of talent that you know he could work with kind of thing so yeah. there, there's some guys like that right like by themselves they are not a dominant like you say they're they're a complementary player but they're so much better than most complementary players that you know that they're sort of the key to the line right like okay we've got these two guys 
but we've tried three different left wingers and it doesn't click and it's, you know, they're missing the chances that Espo's setting up and then this guy buries them. Like, we need this guy on this line. So, um, but, but he, you know, his whole, he had a long career and I think a very good career throughout. Um, and just, you know, like there, like you said, there was that one season where he was tied for the, the leading goals with Esposito. I mean, that's, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I think he's got a really solid, solid case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I mean, the fact is you're top five in scoring, top four in scoring when you retire. I think you're in, um, you know, for, in most cases. Um, I think that, like, actually what you were saying with the wingers, it was actually the right wing, I think, they were really struggling to find, right? I think Busick was on Espo's wing for quite a long time. Yeah. It was just that, like, they, they had, like, Ken Hodge was there at a point. They had a whole bunch of other people who would, you know, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I I think he's he's one of those guys that because of his longevity, um, it's it's a little hard to assess because he played for so damn long. I you know I had him notice notably lower than you did in the uh, in the conversation, and my reasoning, which may or may not have been good, was um, you know that that. He he was sort of he didn't have as much of the like, you know, um, like end of season accolades that some of these other guys who played for a lot less did, who didn't have the totals. You know, yeah, there were guys who'd been nominated for Hart trophies and stuff that he never was because he was the the third or or even lower best player on his team. Yeah, um, I still think he's like absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. Um, I just. I, I really I have trouble like really placing him where because like I do think like his his endurance is remarkable but it also really helps right like it's notable that he was fourth all time in uh in multiple in every major offensive category retired but then not actually when you do the per game numbers he doesn't look good you know and um and so well, like. It's it's one of those things too, like because we're we're both on the side of um, we'd much rather have a short, uh, brilliant, dominant stretch mm-hmm. uh, be acknowledged, I think, than a long, you know, good stretch yeah. or mediocre to good stretch would happen sometimes, right? Yeah. Just everybody's so impressed the guy played forever, ah, he gets in. But I think in Busick's case, um, he has a good case from his from his peak years. Especially yeah. because he played left wing and there's just not that many good left yeah. wingers out there. Yeah. But then he also has those. So I think the longevity adds to a case that was already good, you know, like, so it's yeah. not. Oh, it's he not had that, that one year. He had a fantastic. I mean, like yeah. I said, I think he scored the most points of any left winger in history. And, um, in, uh, and you know, who beat him a couple of years later was Pete Mavlish. Uh-huh. I think, um, depending on whether or not you think Pete was playing center. Cause I think he might've been, but anyway, um, <laughs> Yeah, but like, yeah, the fact is, he set the single season record for a left wing. Like, you can't take that away from him, and and that's absolutely. I mean, I think that also, you know, you combine that with the longevity, it's it, you can't keep him out. I don't. I certainly do not think he he uh, um doesn't belong. I just don't really know what to do with him. Uh, yeah. You know, in terms of uh, it's like you know he's in, but where does he fit in the tier of like all time greats? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. 
so speaking of Pete Mahovlich, uh speaking of left wings, um, the uh, next player we have is Frank Mahovlich, um, who was also uh, one of the best left wings of all time, as we talked about on our episode a little while ago. And um, he played, he's, his career started a little bit, like a year after Busek's, and notably he, he left the WHA, or left for the WHA four years before Busek retired, but he actually retired the same year as Busek did. So they were both inducted the first year of eligibility, which tells you how everyone thought about them at the time. Um, so Mahovlich played in the NHL from 56 to 74, which is 18 seasons, so not quite as impressive as Busek, but like I said, he played, he actually played for one fewer seasons total. Um, and 17 of those we've deemed quality. His, his first season in the league, he played three games. So, you know, he was still, he was eligible for the Calder the next season, and we, as we will learn. When he left for the WHA, he was fourth all-time in goals, which is, again, like, like Busick was fourth all-time in goals when he retired, but Busick was 43 when he retired. When Mahovlich went to the WHA, he was, uh, he was 36. So it's a little more impressive to me that he was fourth all-time in goals then. And um, the people ahead of him were Gordie Howe, Phil Esposito, and Bobby Hall, which is, that's company. Uh, he Or sorry, uh, I screwed that up. They were Gordie Howe, Bobby Hall, and uh, Maurice Richard. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong notes. He was also 10th all-time in assists and 8th all-time in points. So not quite as impressive in the totals, but again, keep in mind, he was like 7 years younger than Busek was when Busek retired. Um, he only played 1,130 games, which, or 1,103 games, which is noticeably less than both uh, Stanley and Busek. Um, but he was 17th all-time in uh, games when he uh, did leave the WHA, and he was also a plus 266, or, which is 4th all-time, when he left and get who guess who's number one bill when uh, Mahovlich uh, left for the WJ in 1974. Uh, Bobby Hall. Bobby Orr. Oh yeah. Already. Or was like 20 something. And he was already first all time in plus minus in 1974. It's insane. So uh, the people ahead of Mahovlich were Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito and Stan Mikita. So good guess on the Bobby Hall because you had his teammate was ahead of him. He was also 10th all-time in point shares. Um, he was 6th all-time in offensive point shares. And among forwards, he was 8th all-time in defensive point shares. But notably, uh, Dick Clapper and Doug Mons were both ahead of him. So really, he was 6th. Now, per game, unlike Busick, Mahovlich was in the top 25 um, in terms of per game stuff when he left for the WHA. He was 14th all-time in goals per game and notably the fourth left wing. He was 23rd all-time in assists per game and notably second left wing all-time. And he was 12th all-time in points per game and the third left wing all-time. So he was he was among the best left wings ever, even in per-game stats when he, when he went to the WHA. And he was among the top you know 15 players in terms of goals and points and top 25 players in terms of assists. So that's notably better than Beavis. Of the 12 skaters to play in at least 1,066 games or 13 minor seasons between 56 and 74, Mahovlich is first in goals, and he's first by 61 goals, which is quite a lot back then, given that 50 goals was a fairly rare occurrence. 
He was also first in goals per game by 0.08, which doesn't sound like that much, but is actually quite a lot. He was fifth in assists. He was fifth in assists per game. Oh, I should point out the goals. He obviously, this would obviously exclude, uh, it excludes um, Bobby Hall. It probably doesn't exclude Gordy Howe, but I honestly don't know. Um, he was also third in points, and he was tied first in points per game. First in plus minus, first in point shares, offensive point shares, fourth in defensive point shares, but the first forward, and first in point shares, and fifth in games. So by goals, by goals per game, by points per game, by plus minus, by offensive point shares, and by point shares, he was the best forward of his era, which I didn't know. Man. Um, now, obviously, again, uh, this is later Gordie Howe era, and it's too many games to include uh, Bobby Hull, but it probably includes Gita, um, which would be like, you know, why he's not, you know, Makita would be first in assistant points, probably. Uh, his uh, 82 game average is 76 points per 82 games and plus 18, which gives you an idea of how low, much lower the scoring was, that he could be the, you know, one of the most dominant offensive players in the league and not be a point per game. His three-year peak was weirdly uh, in his late 30s, in his mid 30s in the 70s, 71 to 74, where he scored 93 points per 78 games plus 35. That's incredible. It is also um, indicative of how much the scoring had increased because, you know, he was, like I said, in 71, he was, uh, 34. So oh. his his uh, three-year peak happened in, in his last three years in the NHL. Um, <laughs> scoring had gone up a bunch. Playoff-wise, seventh all-time in playoff goals, sixth in assists, seventh in points. So a, an all-time playoff performer, a shocking minus 25. But, of course, he was in the playoffs like every or many, many years. And so there were years, of course, where his team got eliminated. Um he also won some Stanley Cups and finished minus, which is weird. I guess maybe <laughs> maybe he had a bunch of pl- uh, power play scoring. Oh, yeah. Uh, that could not be. really. Yeah, honestly, no. not really. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's weird. Anyway, um, he was sixth all-time in playoff games at his retirement, which is not a surprise given that he played for the Leafs and then later the Habs. So, I mean, he played for the, 60, the 50s and 60s Leafs and the 70s Habs. So, you know, he's going to have that he was also 17th all-time in playoff goals per game 16th all-time in playoff assists per game and 12th all-time in points per game and unlike music we don't have to create any qualifiers or anything he just was um of the 42 players to play in 82 playoff games between 56 and 74 he's fourth in playoff goals ninth per game fourth in playoff assists again eighth in playoff assists per game fourth in playoff points and eighth in playoff points per game so by totals a top five performer and by per game top 10 performer so definitely less impressive than regular season as usual he's also last in plus minus with that minus 25 um i blame his tenure in detroit at least partially in which yeah he he was a minus six in the playoffs for his detroit career um as well as some early exits with the leafs and the hams but anyway uh the hockey reference adjustment for era uh, bumps him up plus four to almost a point per game player. That's 80 points for 82 games and notably 38 goals. He is not in the top 25 in 
per game numbers for the adjustment for error, but if you raise it to 820 games or 10 seasons, he's 21st all-time in adjusted goals per game. How does that compare to Busick? Well, Busick, uh, Busick was just not. Um, versus X likes him less than Busick. It has him 12th all-time in goals, which is higher than Busick, but it doesn't have him in the top 25 in assists or points. Hmm. He doesn't qualify for... Uh, he's not in the top 25, rather, uh, in uh, per-game numbers either, but if you raise the qualifier to 820, which is notably 10 seasons, not the 15 seasons we need to get Busick in the top 25, he's ninth all-time in versus X goals per game and 19th all-time in points per game. Um, so, we talked about this trade last week, or last episode, rather, um, <coughs> but he is uh, involved in that Norm Ullman trade that I uh, that I judged as at least by what Detroit decided to do as one of the best trades in Leafs history because the Leafs held on to the players they got and Detroit didn't. He was traded at 30 with Carl Brewer, Pete Stemkowski, and Gary Unger to the Red Wings for Doug Berry, Paul Anderson, Floyd Smith, and Norm Ullman. An absolutely massive trade. Um, you know, as we talked about last episode with Norm Ullman, uh, most of those guys didn't stick around in Detroit very long, or at least weren't as good when they were in Detroit as they were elsewhere. Amovich, famously, he spent like two and a half seasons in Detroit, maybe three seasons total, I guess. And uh, it didn't really work out. Uh, regular season-wise, I believe it worked out quite well. He scored 49 goals one season, which was the most in his career. But they didn't really work as a team, and then he went to Montreal and he won some cups. So it worked out for him, but not for Detroit. And then, um, of course, he was traded uh, three seasons later, as I said, um, to the Canadians for Guy Charon, Bill Collins, and Mickey Redman. So uh, given what we're about to talk about, ouch, right? Mickey Redman had a, had a season in which he scored, I think, 50 goals or something, but like Detroit was garbage in the 70s. Yeah. So um, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that Detroit uh, lost. Yeah. Mickey Redmond scored 52 goals for the 73 Red Wings. Um, and that 73 Red Wings team missed the playoffs. So uh, I think it's safe to say the Habs won that trade. Um, so, as I mentioned, alluded to, uh, Mavlich did go to the WHA in 74. He played four seasons, three of which are quality by NHL standards. I don't know if they're quality by WHA standards. He scored only 232 points in 237 games. So noticeably not a point-per-game player. He was also a minus 14. Um, he had way more assists than goals, too, which is interesting because this guy was a goal scorer. Yeah. <laughs> His 82-game average in... The WHA was 80 points and minus five, so uh, noticeably um, very similar to his NHL numbers. It is worth noting he was like 37 yeah. when he got to the WHA. Uh, he, uh, sorry, I, I just I scrolled too far. Um, is uh, we don't have his. Oh yeah, his three-year peak uh, is an 81 game average of 100 points, which sounds great, but he was also a minus four. He was on some some shitty teams. Um, I believe. I don't know if he made the playoffs when he was in the WHA. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, they didn't do well. Two two of the four years he made the playoffs. Uh, 
His playoff numbers are about what you would expect for someone who played a total of nine playoff games for bad teams. Uh, five points, plus two, though, which is good. Um, uh, but yeah, nothing nothing really to write home about. The WHA is a very confusing league, as we talked about many times, in terms of their franchises moving around. He was traded by Houston to the Toronto WHA team for unknown compensation um, in when he was 36. So he played, uh, he played, uh, yeah, he never actually played for Houston. He like signed with Houston and I don't know what happened. And then he played two years for Toronto and um, he played two years for Birmingham in, uh, or Birmingham as the Americans would say in Alabama. So <laughs> he was top five in heart voting twice, which is already one in, upping him or two upping him on, uh, on John Music. Uh, he also won the Calder in 58, his second season in the league. But like I said, he played uh, only three games in his first season. Yeah. Um, he is, he has uh, three first team all-star appearances, which is the fifth most ever by a left wing. Speaking as you were saying, Bill, of this position being historically not very good. Uh, somehow three first team all-stars is enough to be fifth most all time. Bind only Bobby Hull, um, Ovechkin, Luke Robitaille, and somebody else whose name I apparently didn't write down. Uh, he's also he had uh, six second team All Stars, and that those totaled the the nine All Star team finishes puts him behind um, only Hall and Ovechkin for the most ever end of season All Star appearances or All Star team um, nominations, awards, whatever you want to call it, by a left wing. So that's you know noticeably different than Busick's. He also yeah. had 15 All-Star Game appearances. He was a top-five player uh, by point shares only once in 1961 when he finished fourth in heart voting, but he was top 10 five times uh, between 61 and 72. He was also a top-five offensive player five times between 61 and 72 again, and he was a top-10 offensive player a total of eight times, and that was between the years of 61 and 73. Uh, so, again, playing at a weaker position, but... Um, Clearly the best left wing of the 1960s. I think it's uh, well, sorry, second best. Sorry, yeah. I didn't say that. I didn't say best. I said second best. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, uh, top five in goals six times. Top five in goals three games six times. Uh, he was one of only eight players ever to score 45 goals twice when he went to the WHA, and really he was one goal away from 50. Um, he was also uh, one of only three players that is sorry. No, I didn't say anything. Go ahead. Okay. He was also one of only six players ever as departure to have uh, 25 goals 12 times. One of only three players ever to have 30 goals 10 times. That's now a thing, right? Lots of people have done 30 goals 10 times, but in 1974, only three players had ever done it, Mahovlich, Howe, and Hull. 35 goals six times. Only five players had done it when he went to the WHA. Hull, Howe, Esposito, and Richard. Uh, 20 goals 15 times. Only him, Howe, and Oldman. So in addition... His peak was slightly lower than some of the best um, players of his era, but like in terms of consistency, he was extremely reliable. He was top 10 assists three times, top 10 assists per game twice. He is one of only 23 players at his departure, so 74, to have 50 assists twice, and one of only 20 players to have 40 assists four times. He never led the league in any offensive category, which is probably why he doesn't get as much attention sometimes, but he was top five in points three times, top five in points per game twice. 
he was one of only 10 players ever at his departure to score 90 points twice. One of only eight players to score 80 points four times. One of only five players to score 70 points nine times. Those are Hal, Makita, Hull, and Belovo, and that's pretty good company. And one of only 50, um, sorry, one of only nine players to score 50 points 13 times. He was top five and plus minus once, top 10 four times. In the WHA, he scored 35 goals once, 30 goals twice. Uh, that's not very impressive for the WHA. He had eight points twice. It's just, it, you know, he, he was old at that point. So, I mentioned that that trade to Montreal really didn't work out for the um, Red Wings. Yeah. <laughs> in 1971, Pete Mahovlich, Pete Mahovlich, sorry, Frank Mahovlich, but not Pete. Pete was not yet on the Habs. Uh, he set the single season, single playoff record in goals. He tied the single playoff record in points. And the Habs won the championship. But because people love their narratives, he did not win the Conn Smythe. We talked about who won the Conn Smythe a few episodes ago. That was Ken Dryden. Ken Dryden um, had a decent playoff, but he was an unknown rookie. So I think the fact is that the 33-year-old who who outscored Ivan Kornwayev by five points in 20 games and outscored Belovo by five points in 20 games, and outscored Lemaire by eight points. Um, oh, P. Mahovlich was actually on the team already. Sorry, my mistake. Um, I guess it just wasn't enough because Ken Dryden had that narrative. But, like, here, here are Ken Dryden's stats. 12-8, and 9-14 um, save percentage, 301 goals against, no shutouts. So I ask you, Bill, if you were voting, and you had a guy who tied, who set the single season record in playoff goals, like single playoff record with, uh, I believe it was 14. Um, and who tied the single playoff record in assists. And you had a goalie who gave up three goals per game, no shutouts, and had only a 914 save percentage. Who are you giving the Consmite to? Well, see, that's the thing here. Um, the 914 may have really been impressive for. Um, it did not lead the playoffs. Did not lead the playoffs. Hmm. Neither did I that 301 GAA. I, 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 know, I know that was a year that they went through like sort of the big bad Bruins when they were so high scoring too, yeah. though. Yeah, um, so maybe that maybe sort of you go back and watch those games and you're like, man, Dryden really kept them in it till they finally scored. Um, maybe he split the vote with Lafleur, maybe. Uh, in terms of like forwards, so maybe that's I can why look Dryden up the voting now. Yeah, I think I no no Con Smythe. I don't think I can. Can I look up the voting for Con Smythe? I don't think so. Actually, this is the one where they don't have it. Um, I mean, listen, I understand it was a compelling story, and I listen. I grew up with the as I said on the Ken Dryden episode. I grew up with the idea that Ken Dryden was the best goalie in history because of my father, and um, you know. Um, I think Ken Dryden was the MVP on some other cups. I'm just not sure he was the MVP in 71. I think Mahovlich has a really good case. I think, like, like we talked about with Cornwallier, who set the, who beat his record three or two years later. Like, when you set the single season, single playoff record in goals, like, and like, you're not just, you're not just like nobody, right? Like, you're, like Mahovlich was established by this point. He was 33 years old. He had already had a 
essentially a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It seems, um, I'm trying to find, while I'm talking, I'm trying to find the, uh, the leader for the save, for save percentage in 71. Um, I just think that, like, he, he scored more goals than anyone ever had in the playoffs. Now, the playoffs were longer than they'd ever been for the last three seasons, but, like, he also, um, he, he, he had enough assists. Um, I don't know what the ice time was, right? That would help. Oh, uh, so Esposito had a 9.927 save percentage that playoff. Okay. Playoffs. So that's, you know, noticeably better than Dryden's. Um, but you're right. They did play the Bruins. That is something to think about. I don't know. I, I think Mahovlich at least has a case to have won the consummate that year. He he outscored his teammates by a lot, right? Five points over 20 yeah, games is, is a, a lot. lot. Um, and those were his line mates. And, um, you know, I don't, I, again, I don't know the ice time. He only shot 17%. It's, I mean, it's high, but it's not like, it's not Cornwall yeah, scoring 17 goals. High. Yeah, it's not 30%. Um, I don't know. It just seems to me like if, if Dryden had a couple shutouts in there with that 9-14, I would be like, yeah, so he had some bad games, but he also stole some games. And he yeah, probably but missed... maybe it's just that he came in and sort of solved the one weakness of the team, you know? Like, so they're like, yeah, they don't yeah. win it without him because the goaltending was crap before he showed up, kind of thing, you know? Well, let's look at the seventy Habs. Um, Vachon had a nine seventeen in seventy. Oh yeah, it clearly they couldn't decide because they had three goalies in the playoffs. Phil Meyer had a nine twenty three in. Uh... Oh, those are. Sorry, I'm looking at regular season. They missed the playoffs. 70 was the year they missed the playoffs. My God. So um, the one time in like 50 years they missed the playoffs or whatever it was. It was some absurd, it's some absurd number, right? Like it was like 40-something years. They would have made the playoffs 40-something years in a row except for 1970, I think. It could be, Bill, that you're right about that, that they didn't have the regular season goaltending was Roji Vachon, I guess Worsley had been traded maybe, Phil Meyer, and, and Kendra Iden. And Ken Dryden had a 9.57 in six regular season games, which is uh, how, he, how he got the starting role, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah, it's how they decided to play him in the playoffs. Yeah, well, um, they went through a lot of long series that time, though, right? Because 20 games and you only have to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, so they were like 12 and eight. I mean, that's a, every series is a yeah. uh, you know a six or a seven gamer. So. Yep. No, I mean, listen, I I'm not sure it's as as great as unfair as I initially thought. I still think Mahovlich has a quite a good case. Of course, if he was playing like 16 minutes a game, I would, I would, yeah, shut up, absolutely. But if he was playing 23 minutes a game, I think, I think we're, I think yeah. there might be some unfairness here. Um, and again, listen, you're talking to someone who grew up who, with the idea yeah. that Dryden was the greatest goalie of all time. I'm, yeah, I, I, and I think Dryden's. You know, there are other playoffs where Dryden was absolutely the best player on the Habs, like 100%. I mean, 940 save percentage some years, something like that, right? Yeah. I just think these numbers are a little... But they're compelling because he came out of nowhere. He played six regular season games. They made them their starter. They won the Cup, and they hadn't won the Cup in, like, five years, which is a lot for the Habs. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not five, two years, but regardless. <laughs> yeah. Still, that was a long amazing. time for the that yeah. version of the Habs. Um, anyway, I just I just wanted to bring it up because I think this is something that people don't remember, or at least Lee's fans, because Lee's fans, you know, he left. And I don't know how much Lee's fans remember that Frank Malovich went off and was like, 
you know, he was fine for the Red Wings, but then he went off and yeah. he literally w- helped win the, the have like, you know, he was um, their best skater anyway um, on uh, the 71 uh, Habs. Anyway, enough about that. We should also talk about the 64 Leafs in which he was the best skater as well. Um, I wouldn't say best player because Johnny Bauer, I think that year Johnny Bauer uh, stood on his head. Uh, Johnny Bauer had a 935 save percentage and a 212 GAA in that playoff, as well as two shutouts. So, yeah, I don't think Mahovlich wins the Conn Smythe if it had existed in 64. But 15 points in 14 games, outscored every teammate, you know. Yeah. And then, um, you know, this guy, if I didn't mention, Mahovlich won a, a lot of cups. Uh, he won uh, uh, six. And uh, so he was the best skater on two of them, the 71 Habs and the 64 Leafs. He also was a top three forward by points on the 62 Habs, uh, 62 Leafs, my apologies, and 73 Habs. Uh, 73 Habs being the one we talked about last time with Cornwaya. Um, he was Cornwaya's linemate. And then he was also a top six forward by points on the 67 Leafs when I guess they were all really old. And weirdly, the 67 Leafs are weird because they're like – the line that outscored everybody was not their best players. Yeah, uh, he that also, was like a pretty surprising cup win, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was like Jim Pappen and like, I can't remember who else were like leading that team in scoring. It was weird. Um, and then he was also, he went to the final in uh, 60, but he had a really bad playoff. And presumably one reason they lost in 60 was because Bobich didn't score enough. And uh, he also really didn't score a lot on the 63 Leafs, which is a weird one because that was right in his prime. Um, that season, he, uh, you know, he had 73 points in 67 games, and then the playoffs, he uh, he really shit the bed. He had two points in nine games. They won a <laughs> cup. It's very weird. Wow. I don't know what's going on there. Um, but he did, he's one of these guys who had some like incredible playoff success. And then um, some, uh, you know, some some dog, like some really shitty, <laughs> some really shitty years too. Especially that '63 Cup run is like, it's a miracle they won it. I I guess given that like one of their best players was just apparently absent from scoring. That's all yeah. Dave Keon. That's that's the year Dave Keon should have won the Smythe had it existed. I think. Um. Also notable, uh, Mahovlich played in both Summit series. Yes, that, that I that I knew that he was in the Summit yeah. series. Yeah, he uh, he was a role player by points on both of them. We don't know how much he actually played. He only played six out of the eight games. He might have been a replacement in both in at least the '72 um, series because, of course, some people left, like Vic Hadfield, uh, infamously quit on the team, and then. Uh, Gilbert Perot got hurt, right? If I'm not mistaken, some some guys left. Anyway, he didn't play every game, and he only played a ro- uh, a small role. But of course, he won in '72, and he didn't win in '74. Um, but he was on both of them. I think he's one of the few players. I don't know how many players were on both, but he's got to be one of only a couple. Yeah. So, um, if anything, for me personally. Uh, I feel like maybe having Mahovlich at fifth or whatever I had him on on our list was not high enough. Um, yeah, I, I think I had him one ahead of Zusik. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think he's 
absolutely top five, if not higher than that, um, of left wings all time. Um, he really, you know, he was one of the best wingers of his era. Um, and he, in addition to his like regular season success, he has those two playoff runs where he was very clearly the best player on his team or best skater. So, I mean, if anything, yeah, I kind of wonder if I, uh, you know, cause the thing is like, I was giving guys points for Con Smythe's and he didn't get any yeah. of those. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I don't know. Like his his numbers, I I can't remember if I had him five or six. I think, yeah, I can't. I, yeah. I think I adjusted mine on the fly because uh, you brought up somebody that I didn't think was a left winger. Yeah, <laughs> which sometimes happens. Um, yeah. I think I had Hull, Robitaille, Shanahan, somebody. I want to say Mahovlich was five and Busek was six, but I might have adjusted on the fly and made them six seven or something like that. But um, yeah, he's. He's way up there, and I mean, you know, I, I don't think you would call him one of the all-time greats at any other position, but in yeah. terms of left-wingers, he's way up there, and yeah. I mean, just phenomenal production, really good playoffs, uh, goal scorer, like, just, there's, you know, he's... Yeah, um, we had we had him six, because I think we had him in the same spot, and I had okay. him six, so... Well, yeah, we, fi- we finally agreed on something. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, that list is usually, like, close to the same 10 players but yeah. often in a different order yeah. um i'm just looking up if he has his number retired by the habs that i can't remember i honestly i after going like doing this i would i would bump him up i think to five or four i would bump him up over dicky Moore, i think and uh maybe toe who i had i had both of those guys ahead of them um yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think about it, but like, I I think his his career is very impressive, and um, I know he never led the league in points ever, but he was yeah. one of the best players in the league for years, and then he went and you know dominated uh, not, the seventy one playoffs. Is, so. Sorry, his number is retired by the Leafs, but not by the Habs. Oh, okay. But you know the Habs have like such a ridiculous standard, yeah, and he yeah. only played with the Habs for four four seasons, so yeah, kind of makes sense. Yeah. But he is like, I do wonder if he's like underrated at this point because, you know, he really, I mean, I'm not in Toronto, obviously, um, but like historically, um, I don't know. He just, it's very impressive to me that he, uh, especially at such a weak position that prior to Bobby Hall yeah. was really a weak position. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I think he's, uh, his case is airtight. Yeah, oh yeah, he's yeah. for sure a Hall of Famer. No, you're absolutely right, him. though. You put him, you put a similar case at right wing, and you're just like, yeah, he's good. But at left wing, uh, I should see what he shot left, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, okay. Just curious. All right, so to wrap up, Alan Stanley, how do you feel? Um, I don't see a reason to kick him out because I just don't think, unless we go back and watch the tape, we're going to figure it out one way or another. So we have to kind of trust the eyes of people who watched him actually play yeah all right uh johnny music uh yes i definitely think he's a hall of famer yeah, yeah me too and i and i should have said i agree with you about stanley i'm i have no reason to kick him out uh yeah i mean i think music's case is is very much built it's built on two things the fact that he had that that one absolutely superb season and the longevity but like the longevity 
especially at that point in time, you can't really argue with. Yeah. Um, you know, if it was, if he'd played from, you know, 1995 to 2018 or whatever, it'd be a little different, I think. Um, and then lastly, Frank Moblich. Yeah, slam dunk. Yeah, absolutely a slam dunk. Okay. So that's all for us this episode. And uh, next episode, as I keep threatening, we maybe we'll have a right wing, uh, top 10 right wing. Or we'll yeah, do 1980. I, We're not sure. My, my list is me. I don't know. I just like wasn't in the mood for it today. I don't know why. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I have to look at mine again because I don't even remember who's on it anymore. Um, yeah. All right. So thank you for listening to this episode. And we will see you next time again with either a 19, class of 1980 or the top 10 right wings of all time. You'll find out when you get there. Thanks for listening.